what we hear are musicians from the Baka people, known in the Congo as the Bayaka, an ethnic group inhabiting the southeastern rainforest of Cameroon, Northern Republic of Congo, and the southwest of the Central African Republic. They were playing on water, and if you could see the imagery connected to this audio, you would see three women standing in the water, slamming with their flat hands on the water surface, creating not only a percussive rhythm, but also melodies, depending on the force with which they, with which they hit the water, how deep the hand goes in the water, and how they complementary sort of create this ongoing rhythmic structure. And I'm always fascinated by these these beautiful uh, videos that now more and more are also shared on mainstream platforms like YouTube, where you could see these ethnic tribes playing these instruments, if you want to call water the instrument. And I'm always reminded of a beautiful, beautiful article written by Gerhard Kubik in 1962, where he writes that in some East and Central African instrumental music, particularly in the music for sitter, harp, lyre, and xylophone, one can make an interesting observation. The musicians playing together and they produce rhythmic patterns, which are not perceived by the listener as they are actually played by the musicians. Instead, he hears a conflict of other rhythms, which are not played as such, but arise in his imagination. He says that he has to emphasize that these rhythms, as heard, do really exist and are not a product of fantasy, they can be recognized and deducted from any sheet of cor uh, the correct transcription. However, none of the musicians is actually playing them. We can say the image as it is heard and the image as it is played are often different from each other in African instrumental music. The notes of the music are the same both in the heard and the played image. The listener does not add any notes, but their groupings in his perceiving mind is often different from the grouping in the musician's hands. And how is this possible? In the article, he dives quite deep into this question that he, that he poses himself. And even though I think indeed that this quest can easily be started in African music, we can also find it in European and American art music um, and even in some more contemporary music. Contemporary, as in contemporary classical music, but especially also contemporary jazz, pop, and mostly groove-oriented music. My first encounter with this was when I was playing in the ensemble Luna Park, playing music in similar motion by Philip Glass.
Philip Glass gives the ensemble here five notes. And actually with these five notes, he has written out scores where he makes different patterns consisting of these five notes or a subset of them. And by writing repeats, but making the repeated material longer and longer, as a listener, you forget that you're actually not longer, no longer listening to repeats, but you're mostly listening to where the music changes. The result is that there is something else at stake in the perceiver's mind compared to what the musician is doing. The musician is very well aware of where you are in the score, but as a listener, it can be quite delusional. I find it in these early minimalist pieces by Philip Glass very rewarding because actually what you hear or what you see as, 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 as a spectator is truly something else than what you hear as a, as a musician. As a musician, you're watching uh, the leader of the pack and that was in, in the Philip Glass ensemble Philip Glass himself, he would give a huge nod and you would know that where this knot lands indicates that you twice more had to repeat the material and then go on. But where exactly this ongoing is happening is to the spectator one big question mark. You simply hear a change in music and apparently we're off to a new territory. For the musicians already something to be anticipated, but for a listener something that you can't completely comprehend. These principles you can also hear in the music by Steve Reich, who wrote in his seminal music as a gradual process already, that he's after um, certain, certain processes that are perceptible. And he's not meaning the process of composition, but rather pieces of music that are literally processes. He writes that the distinctive thing about musical processes is that they determine all the note-to-note or sound-to-sound -sound details and the overall form simultaneously, like a round or an infinite cannon. And he says that he wants to hear the process happening throughout the sounding music. To facilitate closely detailed listening, a musical process should happen extremely gradual. One can, as it were, sort of lean into the process as a warm bath. And as soon as you comprehend what is happening, it takes a turn and open up, opens up new realms that are very rewarding, I always think, as a listener. One thing that he writes in music as a gradual process is that musical processes can give one a direct contact with the impersonal and also a kind of complete control. And one doesn't always think of the impersonal and complete control as going together. By a kind of complete control, I mean that by running this material through the process, I completely control all that results, but also that I accept all that results without changes. And this is indeed something we can hear in Steve Reich's music. And I think one of the clearest pieces that can serve as an example is his famous clapping music.
Steve Reich gives his two percussionists in this piece a rhythm of 12-8. And in this rhythm, one of the musicians actually stays on there and doesn't change anything. And the other actually changes only one note by a certain amount of self-chosen repetitions and then is ahead of the other one note. The result of that is a completely new rhythm with beautiful accents, new gaps, and a complete new interaction between the two patterns. The rhythm itself actually did not change. It's just the gradual process that made it possible to get new music out of the same one and the same pattern. There is something else I really like about this 12-8 pattern, and it's also something that Steve Reich very often uses in his work. When he writes this rhythm, he can actually use it in two different ways. One, two, three, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And it's exactly this dichotomy that makes this music to me so incredibly rewarding. Somehow you could say that the composer and the musician know just this tiny little bit more than the listener. And, there's, and this is actually an area that I love within contemporary music, whether it be an African tribe or minimal music or some of the genres we'll be listening to today. There is this area, this gray area that is already explored by the musicians or they know what's going to happen. But for a listener, it is still musical no man's land. There is still something to explore, something that he or she doesn't know. And I can tell you that it's incredibly rewarding when it's finally fulfilled or it's unfolding itself. And I can remember that as a student um, in Tilburg at the Fontes Conservatory, now called AMPA, I very often went to the concerts on Wednesdays, Wednesdays and, and Saturdays. And uh, very often I could only go to one of each because uh, the ticket price was for me as a student quite high. But the paradox where many of these concerts were taking place had a very friendly reduction for students. And I went there as often as possible. On Tuesdays, the sessions were on and on Wednesdays and Fridays, the concerts with uh, established musicians. And it must have been 2007 or eight when I first, for the first time there, heard the Swiss composer pianist, Nick Berch.
it was at this very track that I thought that my head exploded. I can remember being in that hole and I didn't understand at all what was happening there. I heard a pulse, I could not or, or bow my head on it. I could tap my feet and then all of a sudden all these musicians at the same time took a turn that I completely could not comprehend. And I found it fascinating. It was so incredibly beautiful. Thereby there was a stage setting where I can remember a moon was hanging and the whole setting just sort of made sense. Afterwards I obviously purchased the CD and listened to it a hundred times. And only then I started to slowly but steadily comprehend what was at stake. Where I was tapping my foot at the beginning of the music, I was actually listening, well, should I say wrong? At least I was tapping a tempo that wasn't the tempo that these musicians were thinking. Let me explain it by this musical example. When I heard this, I was thinking, one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And that made somewhat sense, except for when the band came in. There I got lost. What exactly was happening here? I, th I thought I was so sure about this 6-4 bar. And then when I started to listen to the B part, I slowly but steadily found out that I was actually counting slower. One, two, three, 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 one, two, three. But this also made some sort of a musical riddle, because what if I would take this tempo over the intro material? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. All of a sudden it started to make sense, and almost all of Nick Bert's pieces made use of these type of musical riddles. He calls them modules, very modular musical ideas that he sort of unfolds over the course of an album. And it's not only this musical gameplay, it's not only the fact that there is this puzzle at stake that I find so fascinating. It's actually the fact that you can listen to this in two different ways. You can simply listen to it as is and not question any of the rhythmical games that are played. Or you can dive very deep into it, see all the complexity and feel the grooves from different perspectives. I found it very rewarding and I also started to like more and more the types of music that made use of this, either from a truly rhythmical percussive type of fundament or simply because they were based on these principles, sometimes also melodically. As Kubik said, sometimes it's as if you listen to something that is actually not played or not thought or thought in a different way and this gray area is something in music that I find very rewarding. I also saw it with the Marquean flute player who is now living in Paris, and his name is Majik Malik. In this piece called Nigeria, he actually hands the musician a couple of melodic lines that are played on top of each other, and they all have a different length. There, again, the resulting patterns are working, but Malik does something 
that is hardly heard in this type of repertoire, he is able to follow all these different cycles and is able to improvise over them. So far we've heard four melodies over a 9-8 groove from the drums. That's melody one. That's melody two. Melody three. And lastly, melody four. And so forth. And within these four melodies, a music is hidden, or a music is to be discovered by the active musicians and soloists to pick up these different lines and make them work. And the textures go beyond the process. It's not that these lines are made and, and they have a different length and just by playing them and um, the different sort of way of how they are intertwined create the music. Now improvisation is a very important point and establishing a groove altogether. I played a lot of improvised music myself as well. I'm always wondering in what way these musicians think this music. Because being able to improvise over this also means that you're able to find your way into all these different cycles that are playing at the same time. It's a bit like playing five games of blind chess simultaneously and still being so on top of your game that you're easily win them all. Well, it's not a competition, obviously. 
but the amount of complexity is incredible. And it's also, an, again, a complexity that I find so so beautiful to listen to because you can also simply listen to this music and forget how complex it is made, how complex it is to actually follow all these different lines, being able to to grasp the process and feel all the cycles that are playing. You can also simply put on headphones and listen to this music and forgetting about all of that. It's something that's not only to be found in classical music or in jazz. Um, one of the groups that I listen to since, yeah, as long as I can remember almost, is a Swedish metal band called Meshuga, also making use of rhythmical patterns that don't fall into the, the relentless 4-4 schemes they're actually built upon. And it is it is loud and it's 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 almost mean music. Also if you look to the text, everything is is brutal and dark. It has almost everything you would expect from metal bands. But there is also a music going on that has a beauty of itself. And if you just think about switching off all the distortion pedals and, and removing the screaming voice and, and the, the complex drum patterns, what actually remains are again beautiful patterns against a grid that can be listened to or forgotten about. And on the one side, also here, it's somewhat obscured what patterns are actually going on. And on the other side, it's actually very, very exposed. Because you hear the drummer actually just playing every two and four. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And in my own compositional practice, I also search for this. I search for a complexity that is for into me, for people that are as much into these rhythmical games as I am, who enjoys listening to a variety of music because there is something to explore. But on the other hand, I also do really think that all the examples I gave are also listened to and understood by a completely in a completely different way by an audience that is not at all occupied with counting, that is not at all occupied with rhythmical puzzles, that simply want to tap their feet or bang their heads. But actually there is something in this music that you can already find in in in, in the in the Baka tribes in Africa. 
a music that is that is made and heard, a music that exists out of a collective effort. And sometimes the gray area between what actually is played and what is perceived is something to play around with. And I do this a lot also with my own ensembles and in my own music I write. On the one side, there is an exploration, a type of mm, sonic search, and an inquisitive sort of position towards what sound is, what sound can bring, um, what sounds there are that are never heard before. I'm very active in building new instruments, especially for this. But meanwhile, in almost and meanwhile, in almost all my pieces, there is also this moment where I simply search for something that that you that you can't completely ignore where your feet just start stepping or where you just somehow have have your head nodding and it might very well be that all the nodding heads in the audience go into a different direction and that is actually i would almost say precisely what i'm after it's enjoyable but enjoyable in a very individual way it's groove music not necessarily to dance to but there's something that makes you move move in a way let's say intellectually if you want by counting but also move that you can't sit still on your chair um by the large piece i was commissioned to write after the gaudiamus award wall i also had to include towards the end a movement that the newspapers described as a, a stingy type of groove um something is not completely right but on the other side there is something indeed to tap your feet to
And this sonic world is something I like to explore. And I very much enjoyed actually selecting these pieces because they have something in common. Even though we go from Central African Republic to the early minimalists, to jazz pianist Nick Berch and jazz flutist Majik Malik via heavy metal bands to uh, where I'm going to end with, there is something in this music that binds it all together. And that is maybe indeed the feet tapping, the head banging, the, the movement that, that music can create, but in a way obscured, in a way that, that the music itself unfolds, either by a gradual process or by means of orchestration or by means of actually having a metal-like 4-4 groove going throughout the whole track and having different patterns up top of them. There is more to explore than the music might at first sight seem to offer. And the last example that I wanted to, to give um, is a piece by US group Dawn of Midi, who, as drummer Kazim Nakfi told me once, actually had improv sessions that they all recorded and they simply listened back what the, what the best moments were. They 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 wrote it out and start playing it again and again. And if you listen to the CD or one of their live performances of this work, you indeed hear exactly this. You see three men standing on stage with, let's say, the classical uh, jazz trio formation, uh, drums, bass, and piano. But the result of their interplay is is a rhythmic, interwoven music that that speaks something completely different than what you would expect from a classical jazz trio. It descends from a lot of sources, as we also heard today. Uh, there is classical minimalism in there, and, and, and rock music maybe even, minimal techno or traditions from African music, but it's not wholly in-depth to any of them. As the New York Times wrote, the individual contributions may be small in this music, as little as one beat or one note per bar, but they are cumulative and constructed in tandem. One player completes another rhythmical phrase. Hey, this is our resulting patterns. Or one player's precise rhythmic cycle produces frictions against another's. The music keeps growing and changing through distinct but unbroken episodes. It becomes a network of bones with very little meat 